These are fun, off-the-cuff discussions on movies and streaming series, both new and old. Together, we'll attempt to bridge the gap between Hollywood Industry Insider and the casual viewer. This is Alec. And I'm Ben. And you're listening to the Cinema A to B Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Cinema A to B. Today is Christmas Day. For those of you listening to the podcast, it's not technically today we've recorded this ahead of time but because it's christmas we're going to discuss a potentially christmas movie depending on your perspective 1988 die hard directed by john mctiernan starring bruce willis and the late alan rickman so alec kick us off so we'll start off the podcast with I am certainly a yippee Kai nay contender. Um, this is Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. It just happens to be a movie that happens around Christmas. Now, do I watch it every Christmas season? Yes. Like so, honestly, I'm I'm probably more on the fence. Lean. It's not a Christmas movie, but it does have some. Of, I can understand why people think this is a Christmas movie. However, you can. Put this across almost any major holiday kind of a situation, and it still will work, right? There's nothing specific that has to happen at Christmas. Now, I, if you think this is a Christmas movie, this is great. Again, I watch it pretty much every Christmas, any you know Christmas season anyway, so it has become kind of like an impromptu. However, with that aside, with all the hate mail I'm going to get on that of all the yippee ki yays, um, I'm I'm definitely side with the yippee ki nays. That is not uh, a Christmas movie. How do you talk about this film? This like this is such a fantastic '80s act, like almost the pinnacle '80s action flick. I mean, I would say hands down. I mean, like I love Arnold Schwarzenegger. We both love Arnold Schwarzenegger. But if I was to pick my favorite '80s action flick, it's Die Hard. Hands down, it's Die Hard. I I love Predator. I love Commando. Like I, you know, I love Terminator. But this is hands down. You know, you want the classic '80s action flick? It's Die Hard. Now, I also subscribe to the theory or the conspiracy theory that any movie that Bruce Willis is in that he has hair is good, and any movie that he has shaved his head is bad. Um, I do subscribe to that, with one one exception. I think um, the movie Red that came out, he does have pretty much like he's got like a five o'clock shadow, so you can <laughs> maybe call it hair, but it's it's pretty. I really do enjoy that film. Is it a good film? Probably not, but I really do actually enjoy it. But other than that, like. He's got hair in this. It's fantastic. Oh, my goodness. Where do you even begin with this? There's so much that John McTiernan does well in this film that it just makes it amazing. I mean, obviously, Alan Rickman as the villain. It's one of his first roles, first film roles. I think he'd like that. It he'd is done. his first film role. Is it his first film role? This, I is know, his, like, this is his first. Oh, my goodness. Like, I mean, straight, how from you, the, straight from the stage to Die Hard. And does yeah. an amazing job. I do know that um, they r- wrote in his meeting, John McClane, specifically because they overheard him mocking an American accent. They were like, oh, my goodness, that's yeah, yeah that was really good. So they said, nope, we're going to have you two meet yes. like and do that. So like that was totally not an impromptu, obviously, because they filmed it, but more of like a. Okay, that's great. We're going to add this into the story, which apparently, well, so ori- yeah, originally they were going to have them meet, but it was it was sort of different 
it was um it was Hans Gruber and then I believe it was Theo, I think. We're supposed to be together and Theo was hunting for the detonators. Mm. And and Hans was around and then and McLean was supposed to get him and then I think he in the script he shot he shoots like shoots and kills him. But they were always struggling on like how do how are they going to get these two to meet? And so you're right, they they overhear Rickman. Somebody was like, can you do an American accent? He was like, well, I can't do an American accent, but I can do a California accent. <laughs> I did not and, know that. And so he, he does it and the writers on set going, well, that's amazing. And so they write this in, but what, what they had to do then was when they, when they record the scene where Gruber kills Takagi, they were like, originally they were going to shoot that where McLean can see that what Hans looks like. Mm-hmm. And so all they did was tweak that and make it so that he can't his views obscured where he only can see the back of Hans. And so then we, and then we get that iconic scene where they meet and you wonder is. Is McLean going to get fooled yeah. into and the you know, hands him the gun and <laughs> but yeah, incredible, iconic performance from Rickman. I mean, this is I guess I need to mention this is my favorite action film of all time, not just like. For me, it's not just the pinnacle of of 80s action. For me, it's It's kind of the pinnacle of conventional, a lot of conventional action. And because they do a lot of stuff that I just don't think they could get away with today. As far as some of the stunt work and explosions and things that are either too, too expensive now or too dangerous to try to pull off now. And I just think McTiernan is the master when it comes to, to, to action and suspense. I mean, We've talked about, we've, you know, we, the first McTiernan film we did on the pod was uh, Hunt for October and kind of a master of suspense and not really an action film. And then you have this and then my other favorite 80s action that you already mentioned, um, Predator. And I, I, I like this a little bit better than Predator. And I don't, I think it's purely because of Rickman as Hans Gruber. And for me, it's not Christmas until Hans Gruber falls from Nakatomi Plaza. <laughs> Like it just isn't. Yeah. And I could make an argument why I feel like this is a Christmas movie. If you, if you're willing to sit and no, listen, let's, let's, let's hash this out right now. Cinema so my, a to only, B. my only argument is, and I'm going to ask you, and this is not rhetorical is home alone, a Christmas movie. Oh, I mean, my instinct is to say yes, that it yes. is a Christmas yeah, no, movie. It is. Yeah, it's, it it's is. a Christmas it movie. Is. Yeah, yeah. And my only argument on why I think Die Hard is a Christmas movie is because I basically think that Home Alone is a kid's version of Die Hard. You have Kevin in the house. Yeah. They're robbers. Hans Gruber and the terrorists are robbers. McLean's basically on his own, just like Kevin. Yeah. There's, a whole, there's a whole side character that needs in need of redemption. In Home Alone, it's the old man who's alienated from his family. In Die yes. Hard, it's it's Powell, Sergeant yeah. Powell, who shot a kid. And so for uh. me, and then and then the other, the big aspect is that Kevin is alienated from his family. And so's so okay. All right. And so is McLean from his wife. And so for me, it's not just that it takes place during Christmas, but that the Christmas season is important for why they're able to reconcile at the end. Mm. But even though it doesn't last, because by Die Hard, 
two or three. Well, two, she's up in the plane, but by Die Hard 3, they've divorced. Yeah. So yeah. it didn't last. But that's my only argument is that if you consider Home Alone a Christmas movie, that Die Hard's not far removed. They're okay. really similar. So that that's is my, my only, that's my only th- argument. No, so that and is, I don't really care. I don't really yeah, I care. I, mean, I know. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, like I said, I, we watch this pretty much every Christmas anyways. So that's probably the best argument I've actually heard. Like, you know, a lot of people drag in like the Christmas spirit or, you know, so, some of the family stuff, but I think relating it to home alone as it is very similar. It pretty much is because honestly speaking, home alone, you could almost pick any holiday. Like, cause it's just, they, the parents go away on holiday. They leave the kid. Right? Except the scene with Kevin in the church with the old yes. man. Yeah, yeah. That's, and, it, that's, and, it, and, and they kind of rely on Christmas being this season of like reconciliation and forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And I'm mm-hmm. telling you, that's the only thing that you can hang your hat on with Die Hard is that he, he reconciles with with uh, Holly. Okay. By the end of it. But you're you're more or less right. I mean, it could have been, it could have been Halloween and it still would have been fine. I will... I'll marinate on this because definitely that, like I said, is the best argument. I will. I'm not quite at a yippee ki yay, but I'm definitely closer than I was, you know, than than I have been. Again, I think at some point I just like to argue with people that it's not who who really are hardcore yeah. that this right. is a Christmas movie, because um, there's people out there who think this is like the bee's knees, and you know, obviously the best. Yeah, Christmas I mean, movie I, is it doesn't Mother need Christmas to be Carol. to be amazing. It's amazing regardless of the answer to that question. So Exactly. So, but, yeah. okay. All right. I, I'm good with that. I'm good with that. So back to the film. Yes. And uh, I, hands down, again, I agree with you as we do many times. McTiernan has a way with action, has a way with suspense, has a way with storytelling that just draws you in and brings you along for the entire ride. I mean, this has a lot more action than, you know, Red October did, but I feel just as engaged and the story aspect, not just waiting for the next explosion, that I was in Red October. There's just as much, like, not as just as much suspense, but there's still definitely suspense. There's definitely here he kind of pulls on my emotions of, like, ooh, like you said, you know, especially with Alan Rickman of, like, is, you know, John McClane going to get fooled by, by Gruber? But he doesn't. That's a spoiler, obviously, if you haven't seen this movie, but you know, 88, come on, we're, we're coming up on yeah. 40 years. So What's I think- amazing to me is how funny this movie is too. Yes. Oh, like the, <laughs> and one of my favorite lines is by who's the police chief. Cause oh, I recognize uh, him from, um, okay. So uh, it's, uh, I believe he passed away. Not, not Paul Gleason. Kevin. Gleason. And he okay. did. He, he died in uh, 06 and he was in uh, the breakfast club. <sighs> yes, 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 yes. And he's great. But yeah. one of my favorite lines is when the, the helicopter that's got the, the FBI's flying around in mm-hmm. up on top of the roof and it crashes into the side of the building and he looks up and goes, well, I guess we're going to need some more FBI guys. <laughs> 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 and it's like, <laughs> that's, this movie's not afraid. It kind of knows what it is and it's not afraid to, to insert those really, really funny movie quotes. And the other, the other scene is with the helicopter and the two, the two FBI guys in it, by the way, I think they both have the same name. Yeah. Like it, it's, I think they're both named, um, Dick Johnson. 
I'm I'm almost <laughs> you'll have to look it up. Real I'm, quick. I'm looking at it right now, but yeah, I think- I'm pretty sure they're both have the same name because they're on the radio. They're constantly like Johnson and Johnson. Yeah. 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 And the other, you know, you need the other, you mean the other Johnson, but they're flying oh, it's, around it's, and they're, they are big Johnson and little Johnson in <laughs> IMDb. <laughs> are the, yes. the, the their names so yes but my other favorite moment is they're flying they're flying around and the older one is like freaking cowboying it up and going yeah just just like nah man and the other one the younger guy's like i was in middle school you dickhead <laughs> that's right that's right <laughs> and it's just those moments that make this a lot of fun on a repeat viewing because it's not this hyper serious no. action film it's it is um it is pretty unnerving i mean but when he's given takagi the business like that scene's super intense and hyper violent and the whole movie's pretty hyper violent really yeah and Mc, yeah and mctiernan was kind of known for that the only the only 80s or 90s director that i can think of that was like more violent was um Paul Verhoeven, Paul Verhoeven. Yeah. Yeah. With RoboCop and Total Recall. Like yeah. that was a whole nother level. McTiernan was quite a bit dialed down from him, but still a brutal movie. And it kind of follows my rule of a, of baddies that don't usually go into really long speeches. I mean, Gruber gave him like a countdown and then it was like, nope. All done. Right. Yep. And it just, the stakes went so much higher after that moment in this movie. And I don't remember the first time I saw this. Um, I'm sure I saw some sort of cable edited version of it as a kid that had a lot of, a uh, violence removed from it. And but, the F F bombs. Yeah. Out. Oh yeah. Tons, tons of F bombs. But this, this thing doesn't pull any punches as far as the, the villains and how they operate. And so it just makes you root for McLean that much more. He with all, all, all his problems. Um, I always love kind of going back to quotes. I, I absolutely hate the character, but I also love to watch the character, the guy who plays Ellis or whatever of the, the, you know, kind of the friend who's trying to like back on John McClane's wife or whatever, but supposedly yes. like that was written a story. Like when he goes and he's talking to, to Gruber and he's like, Hans booby, you know, supposedly that was completely ad libbed. And so like the, like the confusion on Alan Rickman's face is actually real. He's just like, what the heck is happening here <laughs> going on? But like, like I love like that character so detestable, but yet works so well, like, and, and, and fits like, like there's millions of those, those guys around who like, that's all they care about. They're like, Oh, Hey, yeah. Like I'm a businessman. I'm going to, you know, I'll talk to you. I'll talk to anybody. I'll sell it anything. And he's I like doing Coke earlier and stuff. Yeah. Too. Oh yeah. This is just, yeah, this guy's worthless. But that scene is pretty mortifying. Cause you mm-hmm. McTiernan sews in the inevitability of that scene early with the music. Like, yeah. And the the film's got a really conventional score, which a lot of uh, McTiernan stuff does. The the scores are almost like elevated beyond the genre. Mm -hmm. Like they're so much better than what you would expect in action film, especially this era where there was a lot of a lot of films were using like synthesizer type stuff. And so I feel like the movie's aged really well because it has a more traditional orchestral score. And I would say the same is true of Predator. Mm -hmm. They they age better because the music's not as dated and orchestral scores like never age. No. They just don't I mean, age out. But yeah, Ellis one. is like, 
I'm your white knight. Yep. Well, and and the fact that uh, I like also the factor in that scene that that even though McLean hates this guy because he can see him wanting to get with his wife, he tries so hard to save his life of like tell oh, them that does. you don't know me. Like like he's he's upset because he's he lost this guy even though he, like he detests this guy. Like that's the character of McLean. And I mean, I wouldn't say the writing in this is amazing, but it's definitely like it's not the, you know, it's definitely not bad. It's like, it's, it's good writing. I feel for the characters. If the story moves around, there's not a lot of exposition kind of building up, like, th- like things move at a clip. I mean, but again, that's not the movie it is. It's not going to try to build you with these long speeches and these words. It's just trying to get across what's happening or move to the next beat. And it does it so, so well. Going back to the music, fun fact, this composer did Band of Brothers. Really? Yeah. That's, that's probably why you, you like it so oh. much. Oh, yeah. Okay. So yeah, he was okay. the composer. Composer. <laughs> You're like, and done. I mean, he's done a he's done a lot of stuff, but Bandit Brothers was one of the the, the things well, he did. I'm not going to get into to a lot of the nitty gritty, but like this thing's based on a novel that has almost nothing to do with the movie. Like it's a really weird adaptation. Mm-hmm. Like it's not. And I I won't go into. I think that's extended reading for anybody that's interested, but like Google, Google the novel that, that this is based on and how it's an adaptation is kind of strange Mm -hmm. because nothing lasts forever is, is the book which became diehard and it's, they changed a bunch. Like it's kind of unrecognizable. I don't even know how you would call it an adaptation. It just, I think it, I think it takes place in a high rise and that's about it. Yeah. But which, which the high rise was 20th century studios at the time being, being built. So yeah. I used to pass that building all the time. Yeah. When I like they shot, they shot some of Norbit on the Fox lot and I used to pass that thing constantly. It's, it's unmistakable and it's not in downtown LA. It sits in century city. Yeah. And it's, it's like, I, if it's not the tallest building in Century City, it's close. It dominates the skyline. It's kind of unmistakable that it, and now it's just known as the Nakatomi Plaza. <laughs> Even though, well, I mean, I would when people would come visit, like on our way to Santa Monica, like I'd be like, stop by Century City. Like, there's Nakatomi Plaza. All right, let's move on. And it looks basically. You know? It's not like they changed a bunch of no. it to it, but yeah. Well, that was the was, only it, reason they were able to blow that floor. It was under construction because, like, they had. They actually and they had to shoot at night because some of the explosions and stuff, because they actually had a couple floors that were being housed by 20th century uh, studio employees or whatever, like accounting or finance or something like that. And they were complaining about the noise. And so like, well, guess we're going to do it all at night now. Have fun. Which makes things more expensive. Oh, much more and tougher in all in every every group. If you're if you're going to do a short film or something or an indie, don't create a bunch of night exteriors mm, it's stop. it's pricey it's pricey to, to light it that's the problem and, and then you gotta you gotta make your crew yeah you gotta make your crew work basically overnights it's yeah. it's rough it's rough it's, it's yeah. not fun it's no. not fun at all oh by the way i, I always love <laughs> more of ben's goofy movie fun movie theories okay i always i always like the fact that that reginald bell johnson that's plays sergeant powell in this Later, later plays Carl in Family Matters. 
always I always like to treat it that he hits the same guy. <laughs> and he, <laughs> and he just, just moves. He changed moves. his name and moved to Chicago. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Get out of town. Like after that, no, nope, just we're needed done. to chill out. Yeah. Had <laughs> had been through it. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. Like I'm I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that that theory. That's not that at all. I like I like your con- your conspiracy th- theories of you know different film movie worlds like and goofy movie connections is what it yeah. is. It's just yeah. how can I connect this movie just because it's got the same actor in it? <laughs> but he played. I mean, it couldn't have hurt. He's got all this footage of him in uniform when he probably went to audition uh, for Family yeah. Matters. It's like I played a cop. I played a cop, and I can do funny. So and I can do serious. Yeah. You know, he can. I can a little do do it all. Yeah, I love his lies explaining all the ingredients in a Twinkie. (laughs) (laughs) Yellow five. (laughs) Everything a grown boy needs. It is. I mean, you talked about it, but this definitely is a movie that doesn't take itself too seriously. Like, obviously it like it's it's a serious movie, but it is not trying to be more than what it is. It knows that it's an action film. And that's what it is. It's not trying any some like super serious overtones. I mean, it lets the the dialogue, it lets the, the character arc speak for themselves and just push it through. And I think that, I mean, that hats off to the writing staff and McTiernan of not trying to force more than what's needed of just let's get in, make a good movie or great movie and get out. Yeah. And you care about the characters, like the, everything's written and directed properly where you, you, you understand like where he's coming from, that McLean's marriage is on the rocks. She's, she's not even using her married name. She's using her maiden name. They're like little, little nuggets they've sewn in to, to, to really sell the, the marital strife basically. Mm -hmm. And so you're like, Oh, this isn't just a regular like visit. He's, you know, he's refused to relocate. He's a New York cop and Mm -hmm. trying to bridge the gap with his, with his wife. And then, Cause by the end it's terrifying when Hans is latched onto Holly dangling from, from the top with every intention to take her with him. And it wouldn't, that wouldn't feel that way if you didn't actually care about that character, those characters by that point. Mm. So the, the, his ability to make you root for these guys is kind of second to none. And I just, that ending shot with, with Gruber in hyper slow-mo, I don't know what frame rate they're shooting. It's, it's cranked to the max, but he, he kind of, he's already hanging and he, and he turns that look he gives with a gun before he does lose his grasp is mm-hmm. just one of my favorite shots in all of movie making. It's just, it's his performance. It's the, the composite works actually pretty good for the time. Like it still looks relatively good. And this thing is kind of lightning in a bottle and the sequels were like pretty good. And in fact, um, with a vengeance is very good. Yeah. I would say vengeance is definitely the second, uh, in the, the series, in my opinion. Yeah. But die, die hard two is like not a bad film. It's not, it, it, it's not, it just, it was like, this thing was ratcheted up already. And so the whole, can you top this? Yeah. It was almost an impossible feat to try to better it. And if I'm, mis- if I'm not mistaken, McTiernan didn't even direct Die Hard too. No, I think, I don't he- think he was, I don't even think he was interested. So, and we will not, maybe later we can get into John McTiernan's fall from grace and like 
um yeah what what happened what happened with him but i'm um, no. not really gonna get into that on this yeah one, he but. did he did with a vengeance but he did not do die hard 2 right so because i think well i think at that point he was doing red october he had jumped on to to that That's right. because yep. red october was 90 yeah good stuff i for, always forget he did basic yeah he kind of fell off pretty fast i mean once one and basic if i'm not mistaken it was basic or rollerball he had the well, roller. Yeah. Rollerball was terrible. Was absolutely I, I, basically one was of those fine. is where he wired illegally wiretapped a producer to try to get dirt on him. And, uh, and that's what the, when the fed swooped in and that's all fed. I'll say about it. It's like he served his time. I mean, he's not rollerball it was rollerball. He did it yeah. during rollerball, but oh man, it sucks because I do, I consider this guy one of the, one of the greats when it comes to directing mm-hmm. action and suspense and he's not got a large, uh, filmography no you know his his highlights are obviously predator die hard hunt for october die hard with a vengeance i like last action hero although i think it was made probably 10 years too early people didn't mm-hmm. realize they were watching a um basically a farce yeah like they didn't understand that that it that it was poking fun at the genre like well I mean, but it's in the movie when Arnold, Arnold's like talking not, to the. I'm telling you, yeah. audiences in '93 just did not understand what they just thought they were watching this goofy movie with a kid. They did not realize mm. how much it was poking at Lethal Weapon and the rest of the genre. And I'm saying, yeah. I think it was just made ten years too early. Yeah, because people got real snarky by the early 2000s. <laughs> Everybody was super snarky and like. I think appreciate that movie's kind of improved with age and you realize yeah. what you're watching, but yeah, I've, I've always really enjoyed it. But of course, like 93, I was still a child. So like it was, it was one of the few Arnold Schwarzenegger films that I was allowed to watch without like sure. my parents, yep. like fast forwarding scenes or whatever. So, yeah. but my goodness. All right. But back to Die Hard. Yes. And, and, and this is not a John McTiernan kind of thing, but I mean, for a Christmas movie, it's, super interesting and fantastic. So <laughs> it was shot not- by a guy. Yeah. It was shot by a guy named Jan DeBont and he actually, he shot another great action film, which was speed. Ooh. Yeah. Which is up there. So, well, no, he directed speed. He didn't shoot oh. speed. He directed speed. So, Oh wow. That's a big, yeah. Yeah. I think he directed like six films, speed and twister. So he made that, he made the jump away from cinematography. Just- nice. Well, he's, he, his, Done two good films in Red, Oct- in Red October. So he had a partnership kind of with McTiernan for a while for a couple of films. Mm. Who's probably putting the ones putting the microphones in the producers? Um. <laughs> no, they didn't see him credited for Rollerball. Yeah, he'd already he'd already jumped, but he hasn't. Yeah. I think he's retired. So maybe you've read more about this, but I, I've I've always been told that the look on Rickman's face when he's dropped is real because they never told them that when they were going to drop them, they just were like, they just basically said, act, act. And then we'll just drop you whenever he debunked. I saw a video where he, he basically he, couldn't remember. And he basically debunked it. He was just like, okay. I don't remember that. It He's like, it was kind of terrifying. Cause it was way higher than was like the producers thought it would be. Yeah. And they were really nervous for him to do it. He does remember that, that they were like, we can't believe you're doing this. Cause yeah. they were willing, they were basically willing to replace him with a, a stunt man, um, for the initial fall. But I think it was a good 20 or 30 feet. I was going to say falls onto yeah. like an airbag. It's high. It's really yeah. high. And there's, there's behind the scene photos of him hanging 
um, from the platform. And then the camera is directly above on a mount. It doesn't even look like it was possible for anybody to push him or I think he let go on his own. I don't know where that started. It's That's a funny it. story. Yeah. I've told that story before, but it seems to be true. Untrue. Yeah. Based totally on, makes- especially when I saw the video of him then at a book signing or something and he was, or not a book signing, but just an interview. And he was asked point blank about that. He's like, I, I don't remember that. Like, he's like, I don't think so. He's like, it was scary, but I mean, it's not like they were, they actually pushed him. So, well, and which was, makes was, sense. Cause the character's hanging. Yeah. Well, I think it was not so much pushed as like whatever harness that he was in that was That's hanging possible. over. And then they just released it when he wasn't possible. aware or whatever, or maybe he, he had blocked out more, the trauma. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Supposedly like he had more dialogue or whatever, or something else was going to happen. And so instead they, like, this is what I read or what I remember is that he was supposed to finish some line and instead they released him. And so he was like, Oh, you know, like, and he really had that, that, that look. But again, I mean, I think falling that, you know, 20, 30 feet anyways is going to give you that look no matter what, even if you know, it's coming, you know, by the, by the way, this is, um, still on topic, but this is a landmark action film in that it, is the the delineating line in the sand of when they went from the big bulked out muscular action mm. star of the 80s that was dominated by Schwarzenegger and Stallone to the everyman mm. this was the this is the one yeah it to an extent it some of that started with lethal weapon as well i think two two years earlier but this was the one that really solidified to to Hollywood that you didn't have to have the big jacked guy be yeah. your your action star. And so, you know, Stallone and Schwarzenegger still carry the mantle for years after. But this is what ushers in. This is you know, this is why the Matrix Neo's not this hulked Bulked out down. character well, in, got- in subsequent action films. They're not. I mean, you got, you got a whole string of nineties films that are like the rock or con air where Nicholas yeah. cage, not bulked out at all, you know, uh, face off. I mean, all these like really iconic action films in the nineties that are not that style or not that, not that character. So, right. And so it's an important film when it comes to that, that it kind of, it, it changed the game and allowed, frankly, allowed a whole field of actors to like take on action parts that they were frankly kind of denied in the bulk of the eighties because if you would, if you didn't look like Arnold or Stallone or Jean-Claude Van Damme, I mean, that's the only reason that Jean-Claude Van Damme had a career mm-hmm. is because of his musculature in yep. the eighties. And because they felt the like that was necessary to sell, sell tickets. And I, I love that those movies exist, but yeah, then we kind of transition in and now we're in a time where, I think there's a nice balance because it's like it's a it's a guy of like fairly average height and build, but maybe he's got a little more musculature to him. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Daniel Craig's super fit and um, Tom Cruise is always in really good shape, but they're not particularly big individuals. I mean, the, the rock is almost like a throwback to yeah. the rocks, like basically born too late. Yeah. When it comes to that, I mean, but he's able to carve out his own roles. Um where he's just massive, but he's, he's a total throwback to basically from 1980 to 87. 
Well, well, there's that. Oh my goodness. The, what's the movie that, that he, one of his first like action films after like the Scorpion King, when he was just getting out of wrestling or still wrestling, but getting out. And, but it was like, like walking tall, not walking tall. It was before walking tall. It's the one with, um, Scott, uh, I don't know. The guy from American pie plays Stifler. Um, forget the rundown. The rundown. Yes. Which I love. I love the rundown. That's like my favorite. That's like my favorite Dwayne Johnson film. Oh, hands down. Yes. Yeah. I like, completely I, agree. But there's that moment where he passes Arnold and 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 at yes. the club or whatever and he says, "Have fun." And I'm like and I like I remember being in the theater going, "Yes, okay, let's let's get a bunch of the rock movies." And then he went and did a bunch of Disney films. Well, I mean, he, yeah, he signed like a three-picture deal with Disney and and they were all like The Tooth Fairy and you know. Now that may have been smart because then now he has a built-in audience of people who've grown up with him and now he can be that action star and still kind yeah, of. Yeah, but he's not a, getting the scripts that Arnold did where like the Terminator no. and Total Recall and he just not like. No. But yeah, that's a. <laughs> I know some of our listeners appreciate the tangents. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah, you were this is yeah, off this the cuff is, discussions, Ben. Well, I know. I know. And this and this is kind of. But yeah, this this is an important piece of cinema because of yeah, the way it changed that. the game like these things evolve and and my guess is at some point in the future it'll this stuff i believe is cyclical mm-hmm. that it will um it'll come back around and hollywood will want a larger muscled up action star i yeah. i just i believe that because for the era if you go before arnold basically charlton heston was kind of that for the for the era he was Heston was an enormous individual. And so you had him and then Clint Eastwood and then and then the hand the baton got handed off to Schwarzenegger. There's not really been there wasn't really anybody after they tried to do the rock that he was gonna carry the mantle, but he's just more comfortable doing kind of that comedy some action, action comedy and yeah. stuff. With more comedy, yeah. But or being part of the family. Of Fast yeah. and Furious, the Furious family. But Bruce Willis, I guess we didn't really touch on it. Bruce Willis is tremendous in this. Oh, absolutely. Like, just fantastic. I mean, he was doing Moonlighting too, I think, at the time, or uh, that that movie. So, like, this was, I mean, but he hadn't really done much in the way of action before th- before this, if I remember correctly. Um, or if it was, it was very light. But, I mean, he had done, I think before this, ooh, I can't remember if he did Laura's favorite um, before this or after this. Yeah, he hadn't. He's going to kill me. It's funny. He did an episode of Miami Vice that I didn't realize. I need to go back. Hmm. He plays a character named Tony Amato. I need to go back and watch that. I bet that's super funny to see him in that. No, he. He this is like this is the big one. This yeah. puts him on the map. And yeah, he's doing Moonlighting. I remember my parents watching Moonlighting. I remember that show. Hmm. Um, But yeah, he does do um, Die Hard and then Die Hard 2 and then kind of struggles with some stuff and does the last boy scout, which was pretty good. Yeah. But then doesn't do anything until he gets up what to Pulp Fiction, right? Pulp Fiction was kind of a, puts it back on the resurrected map. more careers than just uh Travolta. Oh, okay. Die Hard well, with right. a Vengeance, 12 Monkeys. Yeah. He's the nineties were, were probably more dominant for him. Mm-hmm. He, yeah. He owned the nineties. He yeah. really did. Well, and he did Hudson Hawk in the 90s, which, I mean, let's be honest, that's his number one. No, just kidding. That's Laura loves that film. So if I didn't bring it up somehow in this conversation that involved Bruce Willis, she was going to murder me. 
but oh, and then the Fifth Element's yeah. in the '90s. Oh my goodness, yep. And he has hair in Fifth Element. I'm telling you, this conspiracy theory. The hair. It's correct. Does he, have, does he have hair in Twelve Monkeys? He does. He does. Well, I mean, he ha- is both shaved and has hair technically. And he has so. hair in the kid. So he has I hair mean. The, well, he has hair in, in Unbreakable. <laughs> he has hair in Six Sense. Oh, I love Unbreakable. Oh my yeah. gosh. He. I mean, now and granted, he like. Uh, a lot of those he's bald, but then he's just got hair around. Like I think and this in, is the this is the guy that made being bald like freaking cool. Yeah. Even though, even though even though your story of like your theory is saying that maybe that's not as true, but yeah. Even when he had hair, it was like be super close close cropped. Yes. Yeah. So and I think Die Hard, the original Die Hard, is actually some of the longest hair he's had. You know, outside of like specific ones where but he's, he's still wigs. losing it, like I yeah. am. Oh like, yeah, like his widow speaking all, all day yeah. long. Uh, but like he, uh, what is it in Whole Nine Yards? He has hair. Whole Ten Yards, shaved head. Right there, done. <laughs> I mean, like, I, what more proof do you need? It's a pretty sound theory, Alec. That's I, done. I, think I'm all, I, I, I'm, I, I mean, it's not. I think you've made I, your case. I've jumped on the bandwagon. I have not, you know, this is the bandwagon I jumped on, not the Die Hard as a Christmas movie bandwagon, which obviously I'm kind of grasping as I'm being dragged along. But, you know, <laughs> definitely if he's got hair, it's a good movie. If it, if he shaved, then. Yeah. Yeah. Done. Oh. All right, man. I love this movie. It's great. I do too. I, I do, and I agree with you. Like it's even if, even if it's not a Christmas movie for folks like, the fact that it gets watched around this time of year is makes me happy. Yeah, it does. It does. It's why not? I've even seen the the advent calendar where you move <laughs> Hans Gruber a little further down. <laughs> and I I don't know why I've not bought this thing. Although I am like we said, this this episode was recorded before Christmas, but it's you're listening to it on, on Christmas. Christmas or or a day later. I am going to make the ornament where McLean is inside of the air duct. Oh, the one, yeah, and then, then he yeah, like, lights totally, it up. Oh, that's I'm awesome. I'm totally making that and putting that on my tree. As you should. For sure. As you should. And that's I've a- seen where somebody made a really large one, <laughs> like printed the photo of like life-sized and yeah. had it jutting out of the wall. It was like, it like hangs on a wall. <laughs> <laughs> where that's McLean's hilarious. sitting in there. Yeah, it's great. Just, yeah. Lights up. Oh, that's cool. all right. Uh, my last thought is McTiernan has something about bear, but teddy bears on airplanes, because this is definitely mm. the second movie, if not the third or fourth that he's had that little trope. Interesting. Interesting. Right, right. October. He does it. That's, yep. you know, Alec Baldwin brings back a bear on a plane. It's true. It's like the last shot. It is. It is. Yeah. And this is like the first shot. So like in tandem, Kind of conspiracy is there, theory. Is there a teddy bear trilogy that we're not aware of? <laughs> a John McTiernan teddy bear trilogy that we're not aware yeah, of. Yeah, <laughs> that I'm just now discovering. <laughs> yeah. Uh, All right, everybody. Funny. Thanks for listening to another yes, episode of Cinema A to B. We wish you a Merry Christmas and Happy yeah. Holidays. And uh, we do. Coming up, we're going to go ahead and plug this one. Yes. Give you the schedule since this, this one's running the week of uh, Christmas, we are going to do for our 50th, 50th episode. We are going to be live on YouTube and Facebook on what do we agree on? January 6th, January 6th at 5 PM Eastern, five Eastern four central. 
January 6th. We're going live for episode number 50. I don't know what we're discussing yet. We'll figure that out. Yeah. Uh, it'll be it'll be a good one. It'll be a good one. We won't we won't do some something obscure. Like we've we'll we'll make sure that it's that it's something people are familiar with. But yeah. Hope you tune into that and we'll plug that on the social media. And this is the tw- this will be the 25th, so we will take a break mm-hmm. next oh, week. There will not be an episode on uh, January 1st. So yeah. enjoy the new year and we will go live on, on January 6th, 4 Central, 5 Eastern Standard Time. We will. So hope you had a Merry Christmas. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>